Hello and welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of uh, a cutie Martian and a gross sentient island thing. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, quit playing games with my head. Is what I assume like, Martian Manhunter was singing ah, to the center. Sure, of Gotta, course. I'll, I'll say up front, the villain, not the strongest part of this book. No, but <laughs> I take. do. I, I get what you're coming from, but I also kind of feel like the villain being so weirdly like existential mm-hmm. and kind of being like a basically like uh, like <laughs> externalization of like human fear and and like yeah exactly that that like really works in terms of what the book is about but i know what you mean like i mean it also doesn't show up until like five issues into a six issue book so Mm -hmm. but yes of course we are this has got the runs we are discussing the works of darwin cook and just two episodes in we have reached uh Certainly his best known work, Mm -hmm. what most people would probably consider his opus, more or less. DC, The New Frontier, it is a six-issue limited series written and illustrated by Darwin Cook. There's some other people involved as well, I'm sure you know. Um, I'm just curious because I didn't really do any research about like the sort of impetus of the book. Is there like is there a story behind this? Like I know so, I know you sort of talked about the idea of like him sort of being given his pick of the litter to some extent, but like Well, not not really even because this is this is the book that made him able to kind of take his pick of sure. the litter. Uh this there is a kind of a story insofar as like so he pitched this sort this idea which is it's it's hard to summarize this comic or even give it like a log line um because it's very kind of low concept but also kind of high concept or or at least like when you describe what it's what it like kind of is about i feel like it sort of like begs the question of like why does this need to be a thing (laughs) yeah it is like it it is confusing as to why it was created and like why now but so i think the idea is kind of like so there there are some clear influences in both like tone and structure vis-a-vis the like the, the whole like the period setting and some of what it sets out to accomplish. So I would say that the idea, I think probably the idea as far as like it appealed to like DC and why they would greenlight this project is basically like Marvel's for Silver Age DC, where Marvel's is like Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross doing a like, what if we did like the Marvel universe in real time through the eyes of like kind of an everyman and, and it was sort of this like, universe it's not like it's somewhere between like kind of like a recap and uh like original original piece in some ways where it's like it's an easy onboard for uh you know newish readers who might recognize these characters but never have read some of the stories that they're in it's like a treat for longtime fans who are going to like delight in recognizing some of their favorite moments and some of their favorite kind of forgotten characters 
as far as like why Cook wanted to do it, I mean, there's elements of it as well of like Watchmen is is in here for sure. Definitely. Um, like JSA, The Golden Age, which I know is a book that he really enjoyed, um, which is like James Robinson and Paul Smith doing a, a similar-ish story about like the kind of the late golden age immediate like post-war kind of era uh, with with all the golden age heroes so but but like timing wise i was really interested to kind of like sort this out so he did he was he was working on catwoman with brew baker dc got really excited about it they're like we're gonna launch a new number one instead of just like having you take over the the number or like the regular series numbering and fyi like she's going to die at the end of (laughs) the current like ongoing story so you have to do something about that and so they were like well okay this also kind of like changes our timeline we have some like kind of space to fill here why don't we do this slam bradley backup that will kind of like be the on-ramp so they did slam bradley and then went straight into catwoman no selena's big score straight into catwoman did their four issues of catwoman cook bows out because he's like i've got this new frontier thing like kind of on the boil that I'm putting a lot of work into. New Frontier's like development process then, my understanding is becomes like quite complicated and like editorial keeps giving him like pushback about like which characters he can and can't use, like what things he can and can't reference. Like they really wanted Black Canary to be in it a lot more and Wonder Woman a lot less. Um, it seems like one of the one of the big things but it just like kept taking them like they they kept giving him pushback he kept having to like redevelop things and then they like kind of backburnered it for a bit and he was like well i'm going to go do this like other catwoman thing then while you guys like figure out whether or not you actually want to do this so that was when he came back to catwoman to do selena's big score after he was like 18 months deep in new frontier like development so he does selena's big score then at some point has a meeting with Paul Levitz, who was the publisher at the time, who basically like got handed, I guess, like some scripts or some samples or something. And he was like, what happened to the story that you like pitched? <laughs> and he was basically like, it's getting like edited to death. And he was like, OK, well, I, the publisher, am now telling you that what I want is the story that you pitched. So... <laughs> like make it make it so and that was kind of like what greased the wheels where i think there was still like some some back and forth with editorial but he now has kind of like the clout of the publisher to behind him to basically say like well this is what paul wants so if you've got like an issue with it you can go talk to your boss but what's confusing to me is like why do they care so much like why like this is so this is such a self-contained thing and like sure like it's going like we know now like with the benefit of hindsight that it's like oh like this is a big deal like it's going to be an award-winning book for them like it's going to be an important work but it's like what how do they see this at the time i don't understand like how you would perceive this other than just like we're making this like maxi series that's going to be fun Mm -hmm. yeah it's very interesting Uh, like i i kind of was wondering about that as well and haven't totally been able to kind of like iron it out what why like why they were so i guess invested in this other than to say that like another big thing that seems to come up a lot is continuity as far as like 
is this a story that's in continuity? What continuity is this set in? Like, what Earth is the new frontier Earth? And it's really funny. Like, he he obviously gets extremely uh, tired of that, like, whole conversation because in his annotations, he's, like, so dismissive of the idea. In the new frontier special, I think he, like, calls it out explicitly to be, like, it's a fictional story. (laughs) I (laughs) mean, like, cares? (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, I mean, this doesn't have like the Elseworlds label or like whatever. No, it doesn't. Books of the time. But it's also like, of course, like all the superheroes that you are reading in modern day DC comics didn't come into existence like 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Like comics has always had this sort of floating timeline. And it's like, we're depicting this specific version of this floating timeline where they are coming into existence in like the 50s instead Mm -hmm. of in the 90s or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I really think that the the whole experience on both sides, uh, as far as like the struggle with editorial to like get it out, and then once it was on the shelves, having to have like all these middle aged men coming up to him at conventions, being like, "What universe is this set in?" Like you can like palpably feel his like patience for mainstream big two comics kind of like running thin and this may be an element of why like we talked about last time like he never has like a big run and and what he often chooses to do is work with uh, people that he really likes or on characters that are kind of like dream characters for him. So like, we'll see him after this go on to the spirit or do stuff with like Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor or Tim Sale or, you know, things like that, where it's like, no, he's not going to go do a long run because he has like, he got, he got his taste of, you know, what it's like to be a like sure. A-list creator on a hot superhero book and, was disdainful of it <laughs> yeah and and we sort of we talked about him in comparison to grant morrison last episode but i feel like the difference is like grant morrison has like this obsessive interest in continuity and like mm-hmm. how weird it is whereas darwin cook is like he he doesn't have an interest in continuity so much as like we talked about last week has like an interesting iconography mm-hmm. and like the specialness of the characters in a way. Yep. And that's like mostly what he's interested in. Although like there are a few like like it did sort of like it surprised me to some extent the way that this is sort of because this comes out in an era where I feel like the Elseworlds idea and the sort of like presentation of putting characters in new contexts and things like that. Like I feel like around this time like if you were being recommended a comic book it would be like Kingdom Come is obviously, like, shares some DNA with this in terms Mm -hmm. of sort of recontextualizing the core set of heroes. And then I think of, like, Superman Red Sun is something that, like, was just, like, sort of, I don't know when that comes out exactly, but, like, in the zeitgeist of, like, what if it was Superman, but it was actually in, like, a whole new way? Or, like, Superman's secret identity or something like that, where it's, like, we're recontextualizing a story or a set of characters that you might be familiar with, but we're putting in a new place. And so it did kind of surprise me that he was also seemingly interested in like dropping these little Easter eggs because he doesn't seem to have that level of interest in the kind of lore that other people might. 
Yeah, I was uh, like also interested to find on revisiting the extent to which like New Frontier is so often held up as like a celebration of superheroes. Like it's a love letter to like the Silver Age in a lot of ways. Like it's so like reaffirming of like the power of superheroes. And then I I read it and I'm like, the superheroes are barely in this. This guy really yeah. loves the challengers of the unknown. Like his his interest is really much more so on like the kind of like science heroes, I guess is how I would characterize them, who sure. are like and average Joes with no yeah, and war heroes. Like average Joes, no superpowers who like served in World War Two or the Korean War and then like came home and became like paramilitary, like you know, they they fight like dinosaurs with machine guns, which is like a kind of like speaking of Genesis, you know, like when he talks about kind of like the first seed for New Frontier, it's like a cover of The War That Time Forgot or, or Weird War Tales featuring The War That Time Forgot. That is like literally just like a guy with a machine gun shooting at a dinosaur. And he's like, right, that's what I love about comics. And it's like, yeah, which involves like zero people with superpowers or superheroes. And even like Green Lantern is obviously the character who he has the most affection for of like kind of the actual superhero crew and probably is in if he doesn't get the most page time he gets like he's in the top three for sure and then it's like he doesn't get the ring until the series is like almost over and most of it is about him being like a test pilot yeah Yeah, exactly it's like he i mean the same as we talked about the villain it's like he gets the ring at like the end of issue four i'm pretty sure and then it's like it's like his his favorite guys are like test pilot hal jordan and police detective john jones <laughs> yeah. and like and like remove King any Faraday level and like yeah the challenges of the unknown he loves uh like suicide squad he loves um and then it's like oh like superman he's gonna be in it for like two pages yeah. until the last he's gonna get like, and also shot in the head and fall <laughs> in the ocean <laughs> And, like, Wonder Woman, I, I was, like, fully expecting Wonder Woman to just, like, be sidelined for the climactic battle. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, she does eventually come back into action. But yeah. he did, like, he did like, kind of uh, talk, he talks about, because the story is so much about, like, the new generation of heroes kind of stepping forward, he did very purposefully take Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all off the table alongside, like, the Golden Age heroes and, like, the mystic heroes. There's, like, that whole banquet scene yeah. where a bunch of the kind of like uh the like god tier characters basically are like we are going to not intervene <laughs> <laughs> right um yeah and i mean like you know i think batman is like he's probably more inclined to get batman involved both because i think he likes batman and also batman sort of fits in his milieu more mm-hmm. uh, but that yeah and i guess those do sort of fall into the golden age it it is a little bit interesting to me because like the way that dc seems to approach these things is like there's the jsa or at least the way they did like around this time is like there's the jsa which is all the old guys and then like superman and batman and wonder woman come in Mm -hmm. and they sort of like usher in this new generation is the way that they sort of seem to like to look at things yeah and so it is interesting to me the way like you said superman does kind of straddle that line in a weird way and batman as well yeah, because like they are, you know, the part of it, this the like conceit of the comic is this whole like real time progression where it's like characters like debut in the year that they debuted in the comics um, right. is, is kind of like ostensibly the idea. But uh, Superman 
you know, <laughs> debuted in 1938 uh, and like Batman debuted in 1939 and Wonder Woman debuted like are similar, like late 30s, early 40s. And so it's like, even though they are all like they all look like they are of a younger generation than, for exen- uh, example, like Ted Grant, a.k.a. Wildcat, who knocks out Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Controversial <laughs> scene, I can tell you up front. Um they all seem to be younger than him, but because of kind of like the central conceit of the book, they have to be kind of like grouped into that like old guard crowd and then subsequently like cleared away so that like the Flash and Martian Manhunter and Green Arrow and Green Lantern and all those guys who debuted over the course of the 50s can more so step into the spotlight. I do also think that like one of the kind of like it's not it's not that it's like an ill-conceived notion, but one of the reasons that it can't really be just like a full-blown love letter to superheroes is that they like he did decide to go with this idea of like characters debut when they actually debuted, but this like the chunk of time that he's going with is when like all the superhero comics were getting canceled because Frederick Vertham wrote this book about how Batman is a gay pedophile and and like causing all this panic around like how superheroes are being portrayed or like perceived. And so there's like this big stretch of time where it's like it's like historically superheroes are going to go away for a little while and we're going to focus more so on like the war comics and like the science fiction comics. And and it's not until a little bit later on that you see some of the actual kind of superheroes coming back. And so by choosing to focus on this particular period of time, he does kind of limit himself to like there's a lot of Suicide Squad. There's a lot of challenges of the unknown. I mean, this... Like, kind of not, uh, like, confusingly and, like, kind of unrelatedly to most other things in the comic opens with a extended, like, losers yeah. segment. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, which is interesting. He, like, has talked in interviews, like, pretty often about how, like, it was a big ask <laughs> to be, like, I'm going to open up my series with 30 pages, like, longer than a standard single issue of this vignette about a team that nobody remembers and it's not going to become relevant to the plot until like several issues in. That's like a pretty big swing. I will say like the first time I tried to read it, it was a barrier for entry or of entry for me because I got like 12 pages in and I was like, is this what this is? Like what's happening? And also, <laughs> and also that, I mean, maybe we should like do a bit of a plot synopsis here, but, and that like, the story is like so dour and like Mm -hmm. it's about like all the losers dying and like one guy dies because he like accidentally trips on a grenade like he Mm -hmm. didn't set it himself but like basically (laughs) that like was set up by a friendly like person yeah and then he just like accidentally gets blown up now i will say like once you get to that last sequence, like that's one of the best moments in the book. And I think that's one of the like the moments that people think of first when they think of the new frontier, like the last four pages of the loser sequence is like perfect, <laughs> like comic storytelling and like encapsulates like everything that the comic does well is kind of like in those sequences one way or another. But but like it is a weird place to start. And it also like it, it sets the tone for a story that really, as you kind of alluded to, like it, it's so loosely connected that it's almost like four and a half issues of like vignettes and then one and a half issues of like here's how the justice league was formed to fight this like monster island 
Yeah. And like, I, as much as like, I think this is like a, a great achievement. Like, mm-hmm. I think this is a great comic. Like, I wasn't the most, or, I mean, it's kind of spotty because it's so vignette Like, you just enjoy some parts more than others. And like, it is crazy how much of it is just basically set up for like the last two issues. And then like the last two issues, like there were points when I was just like literally crying. Cause I was just like, this is so like powerful and moving. And like, <laughs> mm-hmm. he does like these moments in such a powerful way. And then I'm like, is, is it a, f- uh, cause like, I'm always like, if it's a great, if it's a big payoff and a great payoff, I'm always like, well, it probably just like needed this to like get to it. But with this, I'm like, did it need like 250 pages of setup oh, to reach this a, point? Yeah, there's a lot of it that's in there because uh, because Cook liked it, which is fine. Sure, um, you know he's he is uh, uh, t- to the surprise of no one probably one of those guys who's like very into the space race and like aviation. Um, uh, like a fighter jet guy, as I tend to uh, to think of them, uh, and so like. Yeah, it's not shocking to me at all that, like, there's a Chuck Yeager cameo and, like, he spends a lot of time with, like, the ex-pilots and, and like, even as those guys go on to their various disparate teams, he, like, tends to use the pilots as the sort of, like, main characters on those teams. But I think that, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit in the first episode about how there are times where, like... The visuals are never clunky. The writing is sometimes clunky, whether because there's like so much exposition that comes out or just like, you know, his it just is true that like his talents as an artist are are like a mountain beyond mountains when it comes to like his writing, which ranges from excellent to workmanlike, I would say. And I feel like there's almost no greater example of it than the like transition from the losers vignette into the kind of like introduction of the book itself where you get this like note perfect like death of john cloud you get like that last page which is like so (laughs) good it's so john cloud is one of the four losers he has like buried his three comrades and dies uh, killing a dinosaur by jumping into its mouth with two grenades which is amazing (laughs) there's a big splash page of him diving into the (laughs) dinosaur's mouth i i did notice that like that splash page has like darwin cook's signature on it yeah because it's so good anyways and so then the last the last like section has like a little bit of narration from John Cloud where he's basically saying like, you know, my family will tell you I'm Navajo, the army will tell you that I'm Air Force, but if you ask my brothers, they'll set you straight. John Cloud was a loser, which is the last like the last panel is the grenade exploding, the light of it illuminating the four rifles that he stuck in the ground with each member of the losers like signature headgear as the grave marker. And the text, John Cloud was a loser. It's like so pitch perfect. And then you turn the page and it's this omniscient narrator like ruminating on the like state of America in the 50s for like four pages. It's so it's so bizarre. Like oh, it's the, Iris West. Is it Iris West? The, the, are you talking about the text article? <laughs> no, I'm talking about when you turn the page and it, like, is it is it that the text of like the narration is supposed to flow into the text of the article? Wait, I'm talking about I... literally like you turn you turn the page off of John Cloud was a loser and you go straight into boy where is it? Sorry, I'm just unsheathing my uh, absolute here. Yeah, you have John Cloud right. is was a loser. Page turn. 
Where had all the heroes gone? In America, after the Great War, many would claim we didn't need them anymore. On the surface, Whoa. life was better than I don't ever. Have this. Oh, you don't have this? No. So maybe goes, this is why this is so clunky. This is this must be a bonus page for. This might um, be like an absolute thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mine it goes, might be. I have like the like single issues, and it's going straight from John Cloud is a loser, and then it's cut to Edward's Air Force Base. And the scene with Hal Jordan. Okay, okay. So there's there's three pages inserted, which perfectly represents to me kind of like the dichotomy of the <laughs> scenes where the themes are so strong and the art is so good, but they just like don't manage to align quite properly. So he's got I, I will read the full narration of this this one page. Where had all the heroes gone? In America, after the Great War, many would claim we didn't need them anymore. On the surface, life was better than ever. But if you ventured closer, it became clear that a great deal of this was a facade. Racism, civil rights abuse, (laughs) suppression of free speech, sexism, and government persecution that sidestepped the Constitution were the order of the day. And looming darkly above above all of this, the terrible nebulous shape of a nuclear future. In the face of this moral and rational slippage, the logical question remained, who would rise to the moral challenge? of this bold new era where were the heroes of tomorrow (laughs) this unfolds over three panels and so what it but what it depicts there is first like it's that the section about like where are all the heroes and it's like what appears to be an abandoned town with a plane flying over it and someone looking up but then it's like but then if you ventured closer it's a facade with like something dark and nebulous looming over it and you get the switch and the guy who's like looking up at the plane is actually a test dummy and the plane that's flying over him is like a stealth bomber that is like shadowed and then the third panel with where the heroes of tomorrow is him like being bombed by a nuclear bomb where i'm like <laughs> that's great imagery i like the idea of like juxtaposing like you know using having this way of talking about america of like it looks great but it's a facade and using like a fake like a nuke town basically to to like illustrate that but it's like the writing is just so heavy-handed and clunky and it it probably is a consequence of the fact that he's trying to fit so much into three pages because they're like bonus pages which which does clarify for me it for me a bit but i feel like there are a lot of moments throughout the book that are like that where it's like you know there's really good ideas here but the way that it is like coming through whether because like the writing just can't live up to kind of the what is accomplished with the art and the general sort of thematic idea or or what it it just does have those moments where to me it like it it flags a bit yeah and that was sort of my feeling as well that like i think it is a case of like you know we talk all the time about like you could just present this comic without text and like it would <laughs> be like powerful in its own right but i think like with this comic especially like it does feel like <laughs> the visual storytelling like so completely gives you the picture that a lot of times like the dialogue or narration especially is just like we don't need this like because like you've done such a good job in communicating this with the art that like we don't need more like confirmation of what the art's already showing us to some extent Mm -hmm. and like especially when he's using kind of like a variant on the nine panel grid for a lot of it where instead of having the nine panels he just has three it's it's like it's most of the book is just stacked three full page width panels which is like so cinematic because they have like the the like aspect ratio of it it lends itself so like perfectly to 
a very cinematic feel having like three panels per page almost as like the rule is like every single page is like a rule of threes in some ways it just like based on its structure right where it just it 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 like naturally sets itself up to like flow so smoothly through the visuals that when the writing becomes like something that kind of catches your attention for the wrong reasons it does potentially feel maybe even more disruptive than it would have in like kind of i guess a different uh, a different layout yeah and like i i am like i'm just like paging through the stuff like the hal jordan and the korean war stuff and like not looking at the text and i'm like <laughs> it's so thorough like especially the stuff where it's like you have the dog fight he goes down uh ace like jumps out of his plane to like activate his parachute and then he like lands on this korean soldier and kills him like that all carries off so clearly with no need for dialogue at all and like you can like everything that you need to know about how jordan is sort of like summed up in that scene and so it's like you can sum that up even without words like you understand his sort of like internal conflict between like his pacifism and the will to survive that sort of becomes his sort of hallmark you did you did call something to mind for me uh, just now, which is that Cook and like this this book as a whole, like I said, is often cited as an example of kind of like a reconstructive comic in many ways, something that is very like life affirming, something that pushes back against like the grim and gritty trend. Uh, I would like to read in excerpts from his afterword to the Absolute Edition, which I'm assuming you have not seen. No, he tells a, a little like story just as kind of like some some backdrop about um this like tv show that used to like air on public access or something when he was a kid where they had like this uh like lo-fi green screen basically that they would use to like do a draw along with kids and he like always loved to draw along uh, which was called scope view and he says the challenge was to draw along with the scope view and try to do your best those friday mornings i would perch in my chair pencil at the ready a world where anything was possible a world of magic television in space, sunny mornings full of promise and my drawing. If you're bracing for speech number 12,367 about how those were better days, relax. It wasn't the times or the place or the cultural comforts of the era. It was something you can find anywhere at any time. It was the earnest faith of youth. Inevitably, I grew older one day and one day realized uh, the scope view was an elaborate scam, a parlor trick that only a kid would fall for. It didn't cause me to write into the station and demand more realistic drawing <laughs> lessons involving more serious themes. I didn't run around trying to tell people that the scope view had artistic merit that only a select few were sensitive enough to divine. <laughs> I simply thought I sought out more detailed and realistic instruction. <laughs> Going in so hard on this. The scope view wasn't real. It was an imaginative fiction that was better than real, constructed to help you in some small way develop your own youthful imagination. Uh, which brings us to superheroes, specifically the Justice League. The world will always have dark corners and black and white comes in thousands of shades of gray, but here are seven people, good and true, come what may. They have the power to enslave the world, but work tirelessly to keep it free. They don't succumb to envy, greed, or jealousy, and their sense of purpose is driven by an unshakable faith in mankind's basic goodness. They are, in the best sense of the word, childlike. It is the very essence of the term superhero. Beautiful, great stuff, agree with it. 
this is a book where Hal Jordan is forced to shoot a man in the head after a vicious and violent struggle and like an eight-year-old girl turns over a wounded black man to the KKK to be burned alive. Yeah. Which and, but I, I mean, feel like, captures, I, I think, I just think it's very interesting to me that this is something he obviously feels very strong about. You can find him you know, kind of defending the or or railing against the idea that comics need to be realistic or that comics need to be like gritty or or just like kind of generally defying the the sort of trend in comics towards a, a sort of darker or harder edged tone. And yet this book in many ways is more so about kind of like the dark underbelly of a, an era of American history that is easy to idealize. It is, but I also think that that's what the book's about in a lot of right. ways. Like to me, like what this is, is like it's post-war America and like, you know, the the thing that they sort of talk about and it's something that I've noticed a lot, like they're, you know, like a, a classic World War II guy. Mm-hmm. It's in a, in a cousin of the jet fighter guy. Yeah. But like the reason that the World War II guy, in my mind, like the reason he loves World War II is because it's the last time in human history that like there was a crystal clear moral right and moral wrong between two like opposing factions in like a global conflict. And like that is what like <laughs> that is what World War II is, is like it's the last time when we and they talk about this in the comic it's like where we were the good guys and and they were the bad guys and then i think it's hal jordan or someone goes on to be like and then we just like kept on assuming we were the good guys from then on and so it's like that introduction of like gray morality into this like black and white world and then yeah it's it is interesting that he sort of gives that look outlook on it because it is like i guess it is sort of the idea that like there is still good in the world there are still people who like fight for this like essential right and then that does sort of get into like the inherent weirdness of superheroes where it's like (laughs) they are sort of like dictating the moral code of humanity (laughs) in a weird way but it's also like you know like if you sort of strip that back it's like i think what the book is sort of about is like you know in your heart of hearts what's right and what's wrong and these are the people who are like brave enough to do what they like what you know is right like on a very essential human level even at like cost to themselves this is uh what he writes to close out that uh afterward I'm 42 now, and I suppose that I believe in the, that the magic of this specific genre is based on the notion that seven powerful people can work together to make the world a better place, that they will do the right thing no matter the personal cost, no matter how grim and gritty the world around them becomes. They are the heroic ideal. That is the driving spirit behind the characters in The New Frontier. Like my beloved scope view, I suppose only a child could buy into such a ridiculous premise, but once it's in your heart, you can't help but take that little scrap of magic forward with you. Which really, like, again, that that is ultimately, like, the appeal of this book. That That is what has, like, made this something that is beloved, um, you know, far and wide to superhero fans. I don't want to say that, like, I don't, I don't get it on this read through because I do it, but it feels like, I I don't know, I guess maybe this is again, part of where some of the writing lets it down for me at times in terms of like the actual narrative itself. But his afterword in some ways is like more stirring of those things to me or like articulates it more clearly to me than the story itself does at some points. Um, I, 
I like, I mean, I told you that I was like crying during parts of the last <laughs> issue. Like, I feel like maybe for me, it's just like because we haven't really been diving into superhero comics that much. And I just like, I think I like a movie or a comic or any kind of media where it's like, it sort of advances this like general thesis, especially like, you know, I'm a sucker for something that sort of like, reaffirms the like fundamental like kindness of humanity <laughs> where the theme is people good <laughs> kind of like it's like you know like not necessarily like nice core in the way that that got talked about a lot mm-hmm. like a couple of years ago but just like that reaffirms the idea of like even in the face of like tremendous hardship and the existence of tremendous evil in the world that like there are people who still care enough to like do the things that are good mm-hmm. and like i I feel like there are so many moments in this where it's like that is like so powerfully affirmed. Like the the whole like last issue is just like so many moments of that. And mm-hmm. also just like the idea of like the character that like superheroes in particular are like not only those people, but also like can inspire so many people to like sort of follow those ideals. Like you have the sequence of like Jimmy Olsen taking the photo of Wonder Woman where he sort of like, he feels as though he has like encapsulated all of like the power and amazingness of superheroes like in this moment. Mm-hmm. And then you have the one with like King Faraday where he like draws like the evil spirit out of <laughs> Martian Manhunter. And like, there's so many, there's so many moments like that. And like the idea like the sort of the stuff about the end where it's sort of like the whole like idea of all these disparate people working together and also just like the formulation of the Justice League in terms of that being like oh ending having the last splash page be like a recreation of the cover of Justice League number 1 is a stroke of genius without a doubt yeah and just like the the fact that like what the book becomes because like I think what is so effective about the last couple of issues is, like, you have all of these disparate people with, like, disparate goals and all these things. And then it's, like, they in the face of, like, a massive existential threat, they can, like, put aside their conflicting motivations and just, like, come together in the pursuit of the thing that is, like, inherently good. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, read to you <laughs> Darwin's notes on the aborted alternate ending? Sure. There is a sketch art of Superman with a bit of scruff uh, drinking out of a coconut and uh, uh, discoursing with uh, with Aquaman. Uh, it looks like two two pages worth of like finished pencil and line or pencil and ink art with like word bubbles placed. Um, and he writes of it, Frontier's original ending was far more cautionary and downbeat. In the epilogue, we were to discover that Superman had been recovering on a remote island after being saved by Aquaman. The two of them were to discuss and reflect on the madness and beauty of the human race. In the end, I decided it was too low-key and introspective. I also thought it was kind of, well, gay. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. Just not the vibe I wanted to hit at the end of this particular tale. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, and, like, I mean, I think the ending is, like, really amazing. Yeah, no, the ending like, is the way much that better as is. The use of the John Kennedy speech, I think, is, like, a really smart idea. And just, like, because, like, that's what this era is because, like, it captures so much. And, like, it's really interesting that this also, like, comes out in, like, the early 2000s, which mm-hmm. is sort of, like, the, like, second reckoning of, like, the United States, maybe, in the last, of, like, that, like, 50-year period, mm-hmm. that it's, like, about how, like, 
we're entering a time of such like moral uncertainty and like political uncertainty and like the introduction of all these like this, these shades of gray into this like black and white world but then also like it's a time of so much optimism and like the the, the idea that it's like we need to like stride forward sort of like with confidence and like try and do good in the in like in the face of this is like very very successful i think Mm -hmm. now here's one thing that as i was kind of reflecting on this that i feel like maybe is is part of why i was alluding to like i don't know if like the like affirmation of the heroism stuff always hits and this overlaps uh strongly with um the fact that for a lot of this, the superheroes are not really in it that much, which is the the notion of like the test pilot slash like early astronaut types as heroic figures, which is an idea that like when I puzzle through it intellectually, I'm like, I can understand how someone would like come to that conclusion. But I like in terms of like an emotional connection, I don't think of like the pilots basically of this era and think like that's the spirit of heroism. Is that is that an idea that like connects for you or uh like that that resonates with you at all? Well, I think that what it sort of is driving at is like if you, you know, like if you look at science in like the <laughs> mm-hmm. 1950s and it's like you have this like double-sided coin of scientific advancement, right? A classic double-sided coin. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where on the one side, it's like you have like atomic testing and like the development of like more powerful weapons than like humanity has ever seen. And like basically just like weapons of war developing in this way. And then on the flip side is the space race where it's like we are advancing like rapidly in the spirit like i mean like it's something that people still talk about to this day it's like why did we go to the moon like what was the point of this but it's like something that's like so solely in the spirit of like not because it was easy <laughs> sure. but because it was hard do you have yes. a jfk can we hear you <laughs> do a jfk for us <laughs> well my go to jfk is ich bin ein Berliner. <laughs> <laughs> I really wait, lose it about halfway is through. That not, wait, have we already discussed? <laughs> yes, is that, we have is discussed. that JFK or is that Reagan? <laughs> we have discussed it, and I believe I was correct. Oh, you are correct. It's because what I am thinking of thinking is of Mr. Mr. Gorbachev. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Yeah. Yes. Glad we were able to relitigate that. But yeah, that, it's yeah. like it is like you know, like you said, like he's interested in the science heroes, and I think that that is very much like those were like the real life science heroes were the astronauts. Like, I just watched Apollo ten and a half, so maybe my perception of this is like a little more grounded in like historical memory than it might be for you. But like <laughs> the way that like the astronauts were celebrities, and that like this was something that was like excited a nation so thoroughly. Like, I do understand where he's coming from there, that, like, the space race is, like, a weirdly, like, point of optimism and point of heroism, not because, like, the guys themselves were so, like, heroic and cool, but because it was, like, this representation of, like, striving, like, sort of, it's the, because, like, you know, that's, like, the American thing is, like, constantly, like, reaching beyond its grasp and, like, expanding itself to, like, these new levels, And then it's just a matter of, like, are you expanding yourself 
to these new levels to like further the human race or are you doing this to, like expand your own like boundaries of power and i feel like that is like <laughs> probably one of the last times that you can point to america and i get like this was also like to beat the soviets ultimately but then it was like more or less like an altruistic endeavor to be like we're doing this because like it is important for humanity to achieve this. Yeah, I, it's it's just something where I'm like, as when I think about it, I'm like, yes, like I can understand what is admirable about these people who like really, in a very real sense, put their lives on the line for the like advancement of like science and discovery. But then I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe maybe I just don't know enough about the individuals, but I do I do I ultimately just I don't like, really care especially about the guys. like like when Hal Jordan is kind of like the viewpoint character for something like this, and it's like he's not doing it because he's like we gotta like advance like the whole of the human race. He's like, is there a way that I could go like even <laughs> faster than I've ever gone? Right. It's but, like but it's like a personal what... thrill as opposed to any sort of like altruistic spirit. Whereas when you compare and contrast that with like the Superman type, but where it is so much more about like self sacrifice. In, but that's on. almost like what what the book is, right? Where it's like, I mean, like I know what you mean. Where it's like they don't really have any motivation beyond like serving their own desires, so that. That is like an element of it, but it's like the idea that it's like, it's not about one person who is like taking on this mantle of like being the person to improve the world. It's about like everyone coming together in pursuit of this common goal. And it's like, in a way, it's like the superheroes, it's, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy because it's like as much as superheroes are individuals and like beings who are so singular, they are also like, like we've talked about multiple times in these couple of episodes like pieces of iconography like pieces of inspiration pieces of like things that people can like share together and so i think that is maybe like what it's driving at because ultimately what the book is about is about like you know it's not about the flash doing something it's about like we created we create this massive coordinated effort that's a bunch of different people all using their like unique abilities in unique ways in order to achieve this like impossible goal, mm -hmm. it is a great comic. No one, no one can <laughs> deny. I am certainly as I as I like kind of raise these uh, points of weakness for me. I would say I am ultimately like picking nits. Um, there's a way more in here that I love that <laughs> I just like haven't talked about. Um, mostly because like listening to us fawn over this book for two hours would not be super interesting. I don't think, but but. Yeah, it, there's no denying that it's effective and and successful in pretty much everything that it does. And even coming into like issue, like finishing issue four, I was like not really expecting to come in like hot defending this. Like I was like, this is good, but it's like kind of boring and like kind of doesn't have like enough of a through line. And I don't see it's, like, it's funny that you say that because I feel like coming out of issue four i'm like this is the best comic ever and then like issue five is like kind of loses me and issue six has to pull me back once the threads kind of start pulling together i just sort of like start checking out until you get to like kind of some of the big moments of the finale oh see that's the you know and part of that is like like I, we've talked about before like 
I hadn't read this in a while. I didn't really have any. I was like, a lot of it. I was like, this is what this is. Like, I, <laughs> and then like as it started to come towards the ending, I was like, oh, I remember this part. This part's awesome. But I, I mean, like you know, in the same way, you know, it's sort of like uh, a little bit of Shang Chi the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. The way that, like, I just really like that stuff where it's, like, these different groups of people with, like, different, where it's, like, everyone has their role, which is, like, catered specifically to their special ability. And, you know, it's a Star Wars thing as well, where it's, like, you have, like, the fighter pilots who are, like, the X-Wing people. And then it's, like, you have the people on the ground and you have the people who, like, are just, like, holding the line so that, like, we don't die before the pilots get a chance to accomplish their mission and it's like that i really like that stuff the way that like everyone sort of comes together in that way and then other times i'm like i can't tell which pilot is which like your ace <laughs> and your rick flag and your one of the challengers of the unknown and like everyone is just like a square jawed white guy with different colors of hair mm-hmm. now speaking of which so the like the the martian manhunter story is in part a race allegory but he he talks about basically feeling like i don't want to do like the alien is like the race allegory, uh, but there's like no black guys. <laughs> um, sure. But so he did uh, like he did ultimately make the decision to basically like export John Henry Irons, aka Steel, from the 1990s to do a, a take on him as a, a superhero, John Wilson, whose like superhero name is John Henry from the classic folk song. What did you think of that? Like kind of thread throughout, um, share, share, that's, share, speak on that. Well, that's like, that's an example of something that I do think is effective because it's like with the vignettes, it's like what I sort of would almost have preferred is like, we have one very clear through line which I guess is like Hal and this whole like initiative that they are undertaking. And that does sort of start to become the case around like issue three or four. But it's like you have this central through line and then like the other vignettes are like they're vignettes of like aspects of society that we wouldn't be able to touch on in this like central story. And like I think like obviously race is one of those big things that like was present at this time that you can't really ignore that like you do need to do something about and I also think that, you know, it what we talked about in terms of the visual storytelling, like, there is very, very little dialogue in those scenes. It is mostly, like, scored by <laughs> lyrics. And I think that that is, like, the best use of his powers is, like, you have this sort of, like, beat that it sets out. And then you're just, like, presenting this story totally visually. And sometimes the visuals have, like this sort of like piece of dramatic irony where they can coincide with the lyrics or they might not. And that is sort of like the way that he tells the story. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, he did write some of those verses uh, to I get was them to align yeah. a little bit more closely with uh, the action of the story. I, yeah, I would say if anything, I want more uh, more John Henry stuff. I do think like the the climax of that scene or that that I guess that storyline, the the way that he wraps that up, having the moment where he like begs the white girl for help and then she like turns him over. Um, as far as like a demonstration of like there's no there is no like innocent child like 
this is an ideology that is so like seeped into the uh like the place and the people that even like a child has has been already kind of like fully consumed by it i will say like that that's a section that i think would hit a lot harder with a little bit more like if that wasn't the first time we had seen that girl um again not to like we frequently talk about not wanting to like rewrite the comic but i do i do feel like you know if we had seen john henry like have have a positive interaction with her when she didn't know he was black or something like that or like if he genuine like beyond just sort of like trusting in like the innocence of a child if he had a reason that he like genuinely thought she was going to help him and then that's like still like you you know use the exact same basically story beats and everything but with like just a little bit of context additional Mm -hmm. context behind it i think that could be like one of the the more (laughs) kind of like devastating moments in comics not to take anything away from the scene like as presented and as written which i think is really good and effective but um but especially just considering kind of the vignette uh nature of the book i am if anything i want more john henry (laughs) yeah that i think that that's sort of like what i'm getting at is like Mm -hmm. you're you're taking you're taking some away from what's basically like the main storyline and you're devoting that to like sort of padding out these vignettes and making them more complete like i think it's like like the scene of like the challenges of the unknown where like they all like meet up at the wreckage of the plane i'm like Mm -hmm. what is the point of this scene (laughs) and then like they sort of reintroduce the challengers with the newsreel and things like that like they're just there are times when and like even the stuff where it's like um the two what's their names uh flag no not flag who who is it that's flying the jet this is a case of again like where it's like i get people confused it is it is, it is the flag. suicide squad flying the jet yeah it's flag and uh karen and yeah. jess yeah like that moment like with the two of them i think is like a super like a really great potent moment and like i would have loved that to have like been padded out more like mm-hmm. it just seems the scene like, like the scene with uh with king faraday like at the grave with like the portrait of them is really great yeah and also the stuff where it's like where he talks about like he's like i scrubbed you for martini <laughs> i think is like a really good moment as well like I, it seems like it's more interested to some degree like it's so interested in being like a pastiche of the era and like presenting like all these little nuggets of the era that like it loses some of the emotional resonance that it might otherwise have. Mm -hmm. I do. I do have some interest in the stuff that he's doing with um, Rick flag and ACE Morgan and Hal Jordan, which again, a bit more sort of like fleshed out through the annotations that are in the, the absolute and some interviews with him that I read, but kind of showing them as like the evolving sense of like what it means to be a warrior in like American consciousness at the time where you have, and this is like, it's certainly in the book uh, if you're like looking for it. Um, but where you have Rick flag, who is so like jingoistic and violent to the point that he like almost enjoys killing. And then you have ACE Morgan who, who killed killed plenty for his part but you know isn't like doesn't have uncomplicated feelings about it and then you have Hal Jordan who made his like best effort not to ever kill anybody and is very like haunted by the one person he did have to kill and and kind of like using these three guys to show sort of like the yeah the evolving sense of of like what it means to be a soldier 
in like American masculinity at that time and, and sort of like charting a trend in that way. I think that stuff is like interesting for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, I, I know what you mean. Like, and again, it's like, I'm not against like exploring the sort of thematic elements of the era and like, like, it, because like, I think the John Henry thing is a great example where it's like, you're exploring something that is like specific to the era that is like a specific societal thing, but you're also like imbuing it with some emotional resonance by making it about one person and sort of like, you know, like centering it in that way around a character. Mm-hmm. I was interested to look at the design notes on the like John Henry costume, which involves like a black version of a KKK hood and a noose around the neck, which he talks about several different uh, sources, none of which, or not sources, but inspirations, um, none of which is Hooded Justice of Watchmen, right. who I have just sent you an image of, which yeah, seems to me like uh, the most obvious. Like it, it, he's almost like wearing a Hooded Justice or a Hooded, yeah, Hooded Justice like costume. So it's funny that he doesn't really seem to ever come up when, at least when Cook talked about kind of who who the design influences were for the John Henry look. And, and like what he was going for there, especially in consideration of the fact that like the the untold backstory of Hooded Justice is that he is black and and like right. the noose around the neck is like a lynching reference for him as well. Now, we might have opportunity to talk about that more when we get to Minutemen as written and illustrated by Darwin Cook. So maybe we'll see more on that in the future. But yeah, and we talked, you know, you sort of alluded to a little bit how much of it is like Watchmen inspired. And I think the biggest moment of that is like the iris west article yeah like that sort of like mixed media thing does feel so watchmen and like the way it's like sort of giving this alternate history and in a way like the early stuff almost feels like you were sort of alluding to it feels more watchmeny in the way that it's like a deconstructionist sort of look at the superhero myth in some ways and then it sort of becomes more about like the power of the superhero myth in right. another way. Like, I think that it it does feel more like Watchmen at the start and then sort of bec- takes on a more, like, much more optimistic tone as time goes on. Right. Like, I do think there's a sort of rise to the, the like, action and the narrative sort of direction to start with, like, just because, like, things are bad doesn't mean that that, like, creates bad people. Uh, and, like, kind of reclaiming, like, when you put heroes in hard situations, they, like, they rise to meet them, basically. They aren't, they aren't like, degraded by their circumstances. Unless you're Wonder Woman. Unless you're Wonder Woman. <laughs> you are well, leading. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's yeah, I, morally I mean, great, again, but, like, are that leading, is like, certainly one of the darker <laughs> of sections of violent cadre of, like, Indo-Chinese, like, mercenary not mercenaries but like superman specifically is like they're butchering these men (laughs) they're cambodian i believe uh and it's like i mean certainly it's probably some more time could have been spent there and like i mean Mm -hmm. obviously it's sort of more about like the specter of vietnam than it is about the war itself because it doesn't cover that and like some of the ideological kind of like fractures amongst the these different like factions of america yeah yeah, and just like, yeah, because I think Wonder Woman is sort of 
in a lot of ways, she is like the perspective character of the old guard of superheroes and the way that like Mm -hmm. she is sort of like updating her ideology because she's like in the face of like what we're seeing how can you continue to be like the superhero guy (laughs) and and like serve the u.s government in this way because like you know obviously i think a big part of it is like the extent to which superheroes are like tied to the government or like agents of the government and how that can like start to feel a little bit questionable yeah, the depiction of Wonder Woman certainly one of the more like discussed elements of the book. I would say both in terms of uh, like her physical appearance, which she's like quite burly. Um, famously, people are obsessed with the fact that when she stands up in that uh, in that scene to like go and like go kind of like tete-a-tete with Superman. She is taller. She is she is drawn to be kind of like a true Amazon in that sense. But also in terms of like, yeah, her her general presentation, which I do find like yeah, she she's another character who I know that he was basically like going out of his way to not use her in part because of that sort of editorial directive that we were discussing earlier and in part because he was wanting some of these more recognizable or, or classic golden age legacy heroes to be on the sidelines more so but i do find her yeah she's she's a character i would like to see more of and like Mm -hmm. have that journey sort of i guess charted a bit more closely because i do think that she presents like an interesting and compelling kind of argument against like supermanism basically in in that scene i think she has some of the more interesting tie-ins with history in terms of like getting like <laughs> like give being given the hook by nixon when she like tries to <laughs> right. like bring up vietnam and like her her relationship with eisenhower where she like you know respects him as a warrior but he doesn't really like seem to hold her in the same regard yeah and like, yeah, like you're saying, like her whole sort of development and how she reaches the conclusion of being like, these these people need a leader and Superman is the leader that they need. Like, that's just a very, that's a big difference from her as we first see her basically being like, the way you're doing it is wrong. Not that for her to say like, these people need a leader and you are the leader is still her saying like, you need to do something different from what you have been doing, but it's a different version of you need to do something different than uh, like, you know, empowering women to murder their kidnappers. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's an, and I think that it is a bit of a missed opportunity because she is such an interesting perspective because that character has always been like, she's, you know, and she's like a sort of like a different side of Superman because Superman is like, he's the outsider that like assimilated into America. Mm-hmm. And, and she, he's got like a handle on her. I, I was going to say a better handle on her than some of the other characters, but I don't actually think that's true, but he does have a better handle on her than I think a lot of other writers do uh, who who have like kind of tried their hand at Wonder Woman, and I think that the ideas that he's playing with are more interesting to me. There's just a lot of redundancy between like Challengers of the Unknown, Suicide Squad, Blackhawks, yeah, and Sea that's... Devils, where it's like how many like ex military adventurer groups do we need that that like we can't have some of these roles just like kind of shared by by one group and make a little bit more room for some of these characters that have more distinct uh stories and and are tackling different themes in their stories from each other 
Yeah, and it's like I'm happy to see those characters in there, but it's like you know I go back to like the plane wreckage scene. It's like, do I need a like character moment to establish like the challengers of the unknown when I don't know their names, I cannot distinguish them from each other, <laughs> and like they don't really serve a role individually except to like comprise this unit which like accomplishes certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think what you're saying about Wonder Woman is definitely true because like she is the right character to sort of have this perspective. And I mean, like it's a role that I think Batman sort of like gets put into more often than not. I think just because like, it's like what, like, no, not wonder. The, like, we got the a Batman, Batman super, well, the Batman Superman, like dichotomy and like, you know, like sort of two, how can, how can like two men with so little in common, like be fighting for the same goal? And how sure. does that bring them into conflict with each other? Like that stuff is all well worn. And it's almost like if you have them together, like they must fight. Yeah. But I think like sort of, I think what I'm getting at is like wonder woman is more interesting as like a political folly, like maybe Batman sort of, uh, I guess like ideologically they have some distinctions, but like, I think especially in terms of like politics, because wonder woman is like, she's of a different country in like such a defined way and like has a sort of political dimension to her in a way that Batman doesn't really. I think she is like a very interesting foil in that way. And I think she is like the perfect character to put into this situation. And I think like, you know, the stuff in Cambodia is like a a good usage of her. And like you said, I would have liked to see more because it's like, she is the kind of character where it's like, I perceive the way that like the government is operating to like not be good enough. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Like she makes sense to be doing that. Yes, she certainly does. I opened to a random page and it was Ted Grant knocking out Muhammad Ali. <laughs> what do we think of this? Should, should he have uh, like, obviously in terms of the story, it makes no difference who wins other than the kind of like setting the tone of the after party like Ted Grant is champ versus Ted Grant is recently dethroned champ. Do you have any concern or care about this at all? I don't care that he beat Muhammad Ali because like, it's not like Muhammad Ali was an undefeated fighter. Like, no, that's true. Like some bouts for the title where he lost, like he has been on like the wrong side of upset losses and things like that. And like, yeah, I, I guess sort of what it's getting at or sort of trying to depict is like that sort of moment where it's like, tonight still got a little bit of juice yeah it's it's like i know i'm fading out but like i'm still and so it's like it's almost like i'm this is like my retirement party to some extent Mm -hmm. it it does seem like something that would almost be more uh like fit in better if this book were about like the non-superhero super teams like coming in to like fully replace superheroes and, and and like not having the like justice league kind of final act where at the end like the superhero is reaffirmed if that makes sense like it would the the like clinging to glory would make more sense Mm -hmm. to me i think if the ultimate conclusion of the book was like the superheroes do end up being like a fading um kind of relic of another era rather than something that gets revitalized uh in the story's conclusion although 
as like a tool for demonstrating and, and kind of encapsulating the way in which the superhero sort of like needs to be revitalized at this stage works for me. I don't know. I guess I feel like but I then doesn't that make more sense that he loses if that's sort of what you're going for that it's like, oh, like even the like that's like our our gods of yesterday are, have been like knocked right. down supplanted by black people like, yeah <laughs> i guess that is a little bit of the implication that that then creates yeah, i i do feel like like i'm not even a boxing fan and when i i didn't like really remember that sequence that much and when he did end up winning i was kind of like huh <laughs> like i don't know that i love that and it's he did talk in the annotations that like a lot of people subsequently like wrote to him and were like how dare you have like wildcat beating muhammad ali it is it does feel like it's hard to pull like another boxer from that era who is as like instantly recognizable that would kind of like serve the same role in the story. And at the same time, I'm kind of like, I don't even necessarily object to like the story beat. I just somehow like wish he had used someone else. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess I maybe guess, like, if it wasn't someone who was like such a black icon <laughs> getting knocked out by an older white guy, it would feel better to me. Yeah. And I guess like it's kind of an anachronism as well, because when is this supposed to be? It is like place. the late fifties, and he is he is Clay, not uh, not yeah. Ali. But I think that I do think that at the time that this is supposed to have been taking place, that Ali had not gone pro yet. Is my because it's isn't it like it ends in nineteen sixty, basically. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So like Ali goes pro at like the end of nineteen sixty. So. You're the one with the sports podcast, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But yeah, like, and, and like, yeah, I think in terms of, again, like going back to the sort of idea of symbology, like Ali is like considered by many people like the greatest athlete ever. Like he has this air of dominance, but like he's not really like, even though he, he has like some amazing like comeback wins like where he sort of like took time off and then like came back and won the title and things like that. But it's like, he's not really like, he's not the Jordan of boxing. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not like he was like, there's 10 years where he was undefeatable. And like, he had like some, like he fought like some of the best boxers ever and beat them all. It's like, Oh, like he won the title. And then he like had like a gigantic fight and he won the fight, but then he lost it. And then he sort of went away for a while and like all this stuff, like, and so in that sense, I think that it makes sense that it's like, oh, like, he doesn't have to win. Like, it's not as if Wildcat Grant was, like, playing against Michael Jordan mm -hmm. and, like, beat him one-on-one -on -one or whatever. It's like, yeah, right. it is conceivable that Ali would lose a boxing match. But I, I get what you mean in terms of, like, what Ali represents as, like an amazing athlete and like a black mm -hmm. icon that it is a it, little it weird. It is also though just like one of those things that I feel like has changed just like socially since this book came out where like at the time it's like that's that's the kind of thing that comics does all the time of like basically having it's it's just jobbing ultimately uh and like when you have a character like wildcat whose whole thing is like he's such a good boxer that he's able to be a superhero <laughs> right. um then it's like well obviously like you're gonna take an instantly recognizable boxer who is known for being the best boxer and then, like, job him to Ted Grant so that we can establish, like, sure. yeah, like, boxers are boxers, but, like, this guy is a superhero. Like, he's such like a Ted good Lipstrong. boxer. Yeah, <laughs> basically. 
whereas like you know i think in the in the intervening years not only have people kind of like soured on jobbing as a concept in comics just sort of like generally in terms of like showing one character beating another to like establish their their power level mm-hmm. essentially but when you add in just like how yeah how like race relations have changed since then and the the like just the bad or just like race of, awareness like, using, yeah because I don't think he like even sees it. No, I guess, no, I don't like, think it's not like I. I agree. I don't think that he does see it as a, a race issue at all, and I, I don't think that the people who wrote to him probably mostly did either. I think they mostly were like boxing purists who were like, "You can't <laughs> right. have him beating Ali." Right. Um, but but now, like to go back and have it be like we're going to use this black icon as the punching bag that shows that this minor, minor character in the story is a really good boxer. It does, it does just feel like just pick someone else to me, at least uh, right. I'm sure other people, I, I don't know. It's, it's, we, for how much time we've spent talking about it, I promise you, I don't actually care that much. It's also like <laughs> 10 pages, which is another, like, yeah, it's another thing about like <laughs> it not being fleshed out as it might've been where it's like, I like, I do the enjoy that a really good idea is there. Yeah. But it's like, if you are sort of talking about the, how like the former, like the heroes of the, of yesteryear are like sort of put out to pasture or even like, you know, like they're, again, this is sort of a bit of a rewrite session, <laughs> but it's like, you know, like <laughs> you're sort of like depicting him as more faded or as more like he, you know what I mean? Like, as like they have lost something like they no longer have it yeah they like, need like, like a new it, generation to step in and like take yeah. up the mantle like it almost would be better if he had a second where he's like i could beat him like i i you know he's on the ropes and he's like i th- i think i could beat him but then just like doesn't doesn't try i guess would would be kind of what it boils down to where he's kind sure. of like on that he's on that knife edge and he's like i think if i just like gritted my teeth and like knuckled down and like shook or off just this like, punch i could get back up even. yeah yeah and uh, like I, I i think you're right i think that would be a lot more powerful if like you know he's having like that dream sequence he's getting like refreshed and i mean <laughs> i guess <laughs> that is a good bit and like he like starts to get up and then just like doesn't or or, or you know makes it and makes it clear that he's not just like collapsing because like he has actually been KO'd but that he's just like i don't think i can do this anymore yeah. yeah then i think that becomes a really like what exactly what you're saying it becomes a powerful illustration of that kind of theme of like this is a, this doesn't like lessen him per se it doesn't take anything away from what he accomplished as like a hero or a boxer or like you know whatever else have you but it does encapsulate that like to a certain extent like his day is done and his spirit is a little bit broken and the challenges that are now being faced are going to have to be faced by other people yeah exactly and also like that whole like part is interrupted for like a nor a pretty average flash sequence mm-hmm. which like is like <laughs> well the snow, more than like the snow anyone nevada else. is a good that's a great a that's a great bit. moment no doubt no doubt but like you know broadly speaking it's like why is flash specifically like getting this like he's like the only person we really see like fight a super villain mm-hmm. 
yeah, which uh, Captain Cold, uh, per Darwin Cook's annotations, modeled on uh, Grant Morrison. <laughs> he <laughs> writes that the secret of, or like the secret cameo in New Frontier is that Grant Morrison is Captain Cold, which is really funny. I did read, I'm now not sure whether it was an interview or if it's something in the annotations, but as he was kind of like describing how he put the story together, a lot of it was like, okay, I'm in this era and there are certain things that I want to do and how can I make them happen? Like, how can I, how, given that I'm using like all these changing point of views and all these vignettes, how can I tie like one thing, one image that I have that I really want to do, which is like Ted Grant fighting Muhammad Ali with another image that I really want to do, which is snow falling on Las Vegas. Those were kind of like the two images that he had. He's like, okay, how do I connect these? So it's like, there's a party afterwards because Ted Grant is the champ once again. And um, like, okay, how can we get snow in Nevada? Uh, well, Captain Cold obviously could make that happen. <laughs> why is Captain Cold there? You know, I, I don't even remember why Captain Cold is there in the, in the story. But like, you know, he comes up with a reason and then like, well, but how does Flash find out about that? oh well iris is there because she was covering the big fight and so now i get i get like my page where flash is like standing there smiling and like holding his hand out while snow falls on him like and i think that's that's kind of how he approached like the structure of the story where sometimes it was just like i know what characters i'm playing with i know what era i'm playing with i have like this specific thing i want to depict and also it needs to like move me along to this next thing how am i gonna like kind of connect those dots yeah and i guess like again like that sort of gets back to him the sort of idea of he is a great visual storyteller and maybe he has more interest in like creating a visual storytelling moment than he does about like his writing like elucidating the themes that he's driving at further Mm -hmm. like he's more interested in like presenting scenarios for himself to draw than he is about like how does this fit into like the overall thematic narrative of like what i'm trying to depict here he does talk as well about pulp fiction being an inspiration in terms of like the multiple like kind of viewpoint characters the shifting perspectives um which I thought was funny because as we talk about it being very vignette it more so would make me think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where, but like, yeah, I, I'm not sure why, like it doesn't compare as favorably to me. I think maybe part of it is that in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like every single time a new vignette starts, I'm like, oh yeah, this one. And there are just so many vignettes in New Frontier that it's like every single one can't be like, oh yeah, this one. <laughs> but it's like you think about like the travolta and jackson stuff like that's mostly divorced in terms of plot that's mostly like divorced from like what is actually happening throughout most of the movie it's just like a fun little side thing that it's like tarantino gets to write some fun stuff and like Mm -hmm. do this for a little while and some of you that is uh new frontier movie (laughs) (laughs) and so my best of 2004 (laughs) (laughs) or 2007 whenever it came out 2008 i think (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad we managed to find our way back to that thanks quentin for joining us in the studio once again um (laughs) but yeah but i i do think that like you know in the same way that it's more about like he's not 
all that interested in like making everything connect in that way. He's more interested in like presenting a a variety of stories from this singular like period of time that he's interested in. And he's more interested in like, here's my time frame. What are the different points that I'm going to illustrate along the timeline? And then like we'll get to mm-hmm. the real story later, basically. Yeah. This is uh something this this is from a, a very long interview that he did in uh, in the comics journal. We've we've already like referenced information that is ultimately from this interview many times. And if you go like looking for a good, you know, comprehensive like kind of career overview interview with him, um, this is kind of like one of the bigger interviews that he did. Although it's pre Parker, but anyways, so he's talking about the new the new frontier and his interest in um, Hal Jordan and like Green Lantern specifically, and and kind of the approach that he took to him and says. He says, I'm not really a big fan of super jock stuff, and I really prefer uh, the fighter pilot bent to any of his super characters. Um, and so when it comes to the Hal, like Hal Jordan Green Lantern, he's my favorite, and that's the primary reason. And then goes on to say, I always thought I'd really like to show people why this character was cool. DC characters, I think, have fallen out of step with the times, and in order to see how cool they are, you'd have to be able to imagine them within the time they were created. It's ironic that when Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams took over the Green Lantern Green Arrow series, Green Lantern was made up as the fuddy-duddy conservative, and Green Arrow was the hip guy who was in touch with what was going on. If you look back to 1959-1960, Hal Jordan is a radical young hip character compared to the fuddy-duddies around him. And I sort of played to that with my notion of him as a character. He would have seemed really liberal during Korea, but he would have seemed quite conservative in 1969. He was sure. young. He had a cool job. He had a great gimmick and outfit. And I think that was the one enduring character out of the Silver Age that really represents the space race and the American spirit, which as far as I'm concerned is the last time we see it appear. So agrees with you that the space race is uh, is the pinnacle of uh, the American empire. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, interesting, like, uh, take on him, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that he succeeds in making Hal Jordan cool? I think that, you know, it is, and I think that some of this almost gets, does, does Secret Origin come, or Green Lantern Secret, Origin, or Secret Origin called? is a little ways after. However, I will say, also, one of the reasons that he wanted to use Green Lantern that I skipped over, he basically talks about how he loves his costume, which like classic like design guy being like well his costume is just amazing and then he says and the other real reason i wanted to make him a strong part of it was having red emerald dawn you know and nothing against any of the guys who did that project but unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) so emerald dawn is of course like the the story that introduces parallax and has hal jordan destroy coast city as as parallax which not Secret Origin, but Green Lantern Rebirth retcons to be like he was in control or being controlled by like the Parallax cosmic entity. It was not actually Hal Jordan, but obviously uh, he (laughs) he did not care for that uh, that take on the character, which is again, like it's so funny. He talks like, yeah, Emerald Twilight. Emerald Twilight is like the one that um, that has a lot of that stuff, but is also either the part like followed by emerald dawn or preceded by emerald dawn i think i think that is what he is uh kind of that that whole era of green lantern is sort of what he is uh is getting at here right but it is funny like (laughs) again he is he is like just kind of like a man of duality where he 
literally just said, I'm not really a big fan of Super Jock stuff, and then name checks Emerald Dawn and is like, I'm furious about what they did to <laughs> Hal Jordan Green Lantern. And then like goes on to talk about like Green Lantern Green Arrow. And like later in this uh, interview, name checks Buana Beast, which <laughs> I cannot emphasize how much people who don't like superheroes don't know who Buana Beast is. <laughs> I don't think he meant it in that way. I don't know. No, but but I have like seen him. He often will kind of like derisively refer to superheroes as super jocks and uh, and like again i think new frontier is ironically kind of the impetus of him souring on sort of working in big two superhero comics well i think in a lot of ways like it's sort of it's it's almost like he's doing two things at once right where like he's getting to do his version of watchmen where he's sort of like illustrating like the the moral ambiguity and sort of like the way that superheroes fit into like a less delineated moral ground but then also he gets to do like his silver age pastiche where it's like he can like write mm-hmm. silly dialogue and like yeah. sort of depict Say them gold dang <laughs> so many times sure <laughs> and sort of like depict heroes in where it's like it's not like this is the good old days but it is sort of like it gives them a little bit more innocence and it gives i think oftentimes it like the heroes themselves don't really have aren't forced to operate in that gray area sort of like what he's talking about in that afterward that you were saying like the superheroes tend to be able well and i guess like wonder woman and stuff that's not always true but like certainly by the end like they're not really op- they don't have to make like difficult moral decisions it's like they're presented mm-hmm. with something that is more like clearly delineated in that way and so it's almost like a like minute of time story where it's like sort of the the morally rigid people in the morally flexible world to some extent right yeah which you know has always been kind of like the the bread and butter for like a captain america type as well or even a superman yeah yeah right someone with like such a defined moral code having to bump up against ambiguous morality i do think that that has always been kind of the appeal for those characters who are kind of easy to dismiss as like the boring characters especially in comparison to you know a a morally complicated character like batman who's you know the the whose whose duality is a big part of like the draw for him it's not necessarily always as easy to get behind the guy who like always does the right thing but putting them in situations where it's like not even necessarily like what is the right thing but like are you still going to do what you think is the right thing even when like it's it's at great personal cost or you're conflicted or confused about what the right thing is um you know i think that is certainly what appeals to me about characters like superman and captain america and and i think like kind of what he's like alluding to also like you're saying in the afterword where it's like there's something reassuring about having a character who you know will like always not not just do the right thing but like know what the right thing is to do and like there is something like childish about that idea for sure of like you know like i wish someone who would like just would know what the right thing was and do it but i do think that that is like part of the draw at some level of a character like superman where it's like 
you know, he is going to know what the right thing is to do and then do it. Or if he like doesn't realize what the right thing is, as soon as he does, he will like change what he's doing and like make amends for, you know, when when he was not doing things the right way or you know, right. that that kind of thing. S- Superman is interestingly rocking uh, a black uh, backed s crest mm. uh, a fleischer cartoon reference i believe uh but also yeah, you can really see the in like especially like the way they draw like he has no oh, eyes yeah. <laughs> the the visual influences on this book yeah are, we should definitely talk like, about that so so varied and not to say that like it's not like he's doing pastiche or no. uh you know working like wildly outside of his normal style but like the the when just like when you compare it to something like uh selena's big score again like it's not that it looks so different part of it i do think is the the coloring um he is partnered up with dave stewart on this for the first time who also worked on like uh, a lot of the hellboy stuff would be kind of the other really big noteworthy um thing of his but there there just is so much of the artists of this era synthesizing in ways that are just i mean maybe some of it is just the subject matter but like for example kirby who is like very much kind of like the bedrock foundation of cook's style to begin with Mm -hmm. is like somehow even more so on display (laughs) like there's so much cubert um i i today yeah um, he's like jumping up and down that pyramid <laughs> Today I was referencing, um, like just tweeting about uh, the private eye, aka ten thousand small bills, or the girl dies, mm-hmm. and comparing uh, his style in that with um, Jim Steranko and Alex Toth, and I feel like they both also are very present in this, in like kind of fleeting glimpses. You know the Fleischer cartoons we already kind of referenced. Uh, he he has like a big like thanks at the back uh, where he kind of lists like every artist who drew a comic in the fifties. Right. But but it is really interesting the extent to which like he is looking to those those guys to inform, especially the sequences for like the characters that they worked on, and and is doing so in a way which again is like both very recognizable but also very much like like synthesized into its own thing as we were kind of talking about and like for example by contrast uh like john ramita who i would say normally or or at least in ego and uh, and definitely in the private eye and in selena's big score i would have said like ramita is like a, a a key ingredient in the cook style too and it's just like not really in this book at all which makes sense because he like hits the scene in the mid 60s and like it, you know, to to be drawing on Ramita wouldn't fit with the guys who he is most kind of trying to evoke. Whereas a guy like Wally Wood, who is like one of the kind of like classic sci-fi artists of the fifties, who I would normally not say I really see anything of in Cook's style, has his like fingerprints all over like every single machine that's in this is like a Wally Wood machine. <laughs> right. Sure. I assume you agree. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know as much about like that era as you do uh like i did see like all the dedications and stuff and i think like especially it's especially apparent in the way he draws like the big three like it's not it's not even as like stylistically specific and like sort of evocative of that era as i remember it being compared to Mm -hmm. like you know like you look like the cover of the absolute like 
that's in a very distinct style that isn't really reflective of the way the whole book looks. No, yeah. And then you have like, you know, like there's obviously like the cover of the the like the DVD of the movie has like a, mm. that very specific. But I think like it's especially apparent in like the way he draws, especially Superman and Wonder Woman. Batman obviously like he has like yeah, the very Batman is the one shallow yeah. V. <laughs> and I will say Batman is also the one who he goes a little bit more out of his way to kind of like pay tribute to specific bat suits, where like in the early goings. He has the sort of like the wider splayed out right. um, cowl ears, which is like very, very much sort of the like proto Batman, like the earliest versions of Batman. And then as it like goes on and and like Robin is introduced and it's like moving towards Silver Age Batman, he starts to use elements more so of like uh, that. It's like the Dick Sprang Batman suit or even like there's some like Adam West in there, I would even say in terms of like the lighter. I mean, this is also kind of from the comics, but the like sort of eyebrow shapes that are in in like a lighter shade of blue than the rest of the suit sure yeah and and like and then like you said like superman has the fleischer inspiration and then like you know he draws other women in this way in, in particular but like the way that wonder woman especially is drawn is very like evocative of like that era and sort of like pin up in that way yeah for sure like like she should be uh like on the nose of a plane dropping a bomb that says special delivery for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, we talked about this last week, but I think, you know, Saul Bass is definitely very present in terms of, like, the graphic design elements, the the open, the, like, the first pages with, like, you know, all the sort of more abstract art and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, the, the first page before the comic starts, is that's there as well. Um, the right stuff. You ever seen that? I have not actually seen the right <laughs> Me stuff. Me neither. Referenced very, very heavily uh, throughout. You know, every time he talks about this book, pretty much he mentions the right stuff. Um, being also kind of like a, a chronicle of test pilots and like the early space race and things along those lines. So yeah. that is a, a big inspiration as far as that goes. We haven't really talked much about uh, Martian Manhunter. No, he turns into Groucho Marx and Bugs Bunny, so that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, he he is, uh, I think, in some ways, sort of my, like, favorite part, I would say, as far as the, like, the superhero side of things goes. I think that he has some of the most, like, strongly realized themes in terms of, uh, on the, on the, like, there's the race allegory for sure, which I'm glad that he's not the only kind of like avenue into that and that he's more so like it's it's more so that he sees racism and it like makes him reflect on like his own relationship with like the people of earth rather than being like the way that they treat this alien is kind of like how we treat black people if you think about it right i think that is very much for the good of <laughs> of this book but i also think that there is like an interesting 
just just some like kind of interesting ideas about media floating around and like the value of media with a message that like good can beat evil and like being a good guy is like something desirable which is sort of like his origin story as presented in this is that he watches tv and does like nothing else for like a month yeah and as i didn't i didn't think this was communicated super clearly in the story but in the annotations and and in interviews he'll often say like the point of that was supposed to be that like he doesn't understand that what he's seeing is fiction like he thinks that it's like a fax machine basically just showing him like images of <laughs> right. things that are like happening so when he finally leaves the professor's apartment he thinks that that's like what the world is like and and has decided like i need to be a good guy because there are bad guys and that like part of the development of his character is recognizing that being a good guy in the real world is not as easy as being a good guy on tv but he like still you know chooses to do it which i think again ties in really well to the whole like kind of notion of heroism that is throughout this book but but also is like a, an interesting reflection on like when you're in a situation in the real world that is complicated and <laughs> difficult and like being the good guy is challenging when you have like the reinforcement of these stories that inspired you to like want to be a good person and do good things and like have kind of informed who you want to be it can be something that kind of like shores you up or, or puts you in the decision that or in the position rather that when you have to make a difficult decision like that, it's easier for you to choose to be like the good guy, which I think is just like interesting. Yeah, I, I have often seen slash heard Cook talk about himself and like specifically say like, I don't think of myself as an artist or or. <laughs> when spoken artiste um (laughs) i i make entertainment but i think that entertainment uh like i i don't mean say that to like devalue what i do or or like the notion of entertainment like i don't think that entertainment is the same thing as art but that doesn't mean that it is without value or without purpose and this is like i think where you see a lot of his his you know, when he when he comes into conflict with people, it is often around that, like, listen, just because I'm writing a comic book doesn't mean that I'm going to write a bad comic book or make a bad comic <laughs> right. book or that what we're doing isn't important. Like, it is important, not for the same reasons maybe that other people think it's important, but it is still something that's important. And if you're not going to kind of like, you know, do do your part in this important thing that we're doing, then we're going to have an issue. Yeah. And hopefully a few issues. Yeah. Six in this case so true uh, <laughs> yeah and i think you know i think that i i really like the martian manhunter i think he's like sort of a weirdly underutilized character uh in like the dc mythos and i think that that's a big part of why you tend to like see him weirdly pop up in like <laughs> stories like this and like like i feel like good writers sort of know that he like has a secret sauce to him um because he is like He's not an audience surrogate, but he has, like, this very interesting perspective because it's, like, he's the outsider, so he can sort of comment on society, like, from this outsider perspective. But then he's also weirdly, like, molded by society because of, like, this connection he has to, like, TV and, like, this sort of, you know, he, he is, like, he is doing an imitation of like a TV cop and they sort of like play that for humor at certain points mm-hmm. like that sort of side of him. It presents an interesting perspective as well, especially when in something like this, where it's like, it's so focused on 
what morality is and sort of the the nuances like he is almost like the character who has come from a comic book in some ways yeah and i think he's cool he is green yep very green um i did think it was a really funny bit when he turned into like the classic martian manhunter and then king faraday was like real men wear pants and so he instead like put on a suit <laughs> he becomes they become like the men in black <laughs> weirdly yeah. the is that an original maybe i'm showing my ignorance here but like the way that he is depicted at the beak when like his natural form is that an original cook creation or is it always um, like the, the the sort of alien head it's not an original cook creation but it's also not like the the like if you go back and look at the first martian manhunter story it wasn't like that like it was it was just martian manhunter like it was right. just a green guy <laughs> right um but like the more monstrous form i think was an idea that had been kicking around at that point for like a fair while in terms of his sort of like natural form and the right. idea that he sort of like softens himself to be more more kind of palatable to the human beings generally yeah and i mean like there's there's a interesting maybe like bit of race allegory there in terms of how he like he goes from being like i'm a monster to being <laughs> like well i have to like assume the form of a human so that people don't like freak out and hate me and then it's like oh i can like assert my like unique identity without i don't have to like fully assimilate into the culture of like my homeland in order to be accepted here it's, I think, mm-hmm. like, a weird, like, weirdly nuanced, like, interesting little thing that I think sort of gets thrown in by accident because, like, he just wants him to look like Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea of, like, sort of finding that middle ground is, like, pretty interesting, I think. Yes, uh, agreed. I was trying to find a quote from him in this this same Comics Journal interview uh, where he like goes off on DC that I'm still going to try and find, again, I think kind of informed by his experience with this. But there is another section completely unrelated to anything, but he's like talking about kind of like the industry at large and talking about how like I think... You know, again, this is like mid two thousands and same same kinds of conversations that we've had before. Um, but saying like, I think the direct market is in trouble. But outside of the direct market, I see all kinds of incredible things going on. And the interviewer prompts him, like what? And he says, you know, off the top of my head, blah 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 manga, blah 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 manga. <laughs> 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 Which is really funny. I, we have talked about many creators who have uh, manga influences, often as part of kind of like the key or one of the key talking points of their style. I really don't see anything uh, in in Cook that <laughs> I would I would point to and be like maybe, manga. Uh, well, maybe in that uh, you know I was talking last week about that little Harley Quinn story mm-hmm. that's in Batman and other tales. And, like, maybe you can see some of it there. Like you said, that's sort of maybe him more working in the the house style. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can I can see something there. Certainly not in this comic. I don't think that there no. is, there's any uh, and, and again, non-American there, art that he's looking yeah, to for inspiration here. There's some very specific artists, uh, of course, that he is uh, evoking yes. with, his, with his art there, for sure. Is there anything else we want to talk about i don't know that there is there's just so like 
it's a very dense book. Oh well, I guess yeah. I we can. I know you didn't read the uh, the special, which is a newer thing. Right, um, that came out around the time of the uh, the movie. It was to like accompany the movie. Yeah, I did read it. Uh, I don't feel like you're really missing much. They're just they're just kind of like you know one off stories that. Well, I I mean this is uh, something I'll come back to later. There's a very a very uh, interesting sort of trend in terms of like presenting things as like a new frontier story which basically just means like a darwin cook (laughs) story um that that i'll talk more about in a second but anyways most of those stories are pretty uh pretty unremarkable the only thing that simply must be remarked upon is that the third story is about uh a new like playboy club opening in gotham city and Wonder Woman goes with Black Canary to like denounce all of the men who are there and show them the error of their ways. And she like beats a bunch of them up. She pops out of like a cake that was supposed to have um, like a pinup model of the day in it, and like lectures all the men about uh, about <laughs> their ways, basically. And and then she like leaves, and the like Playboy bunnies are shown having a conversation about how like basically like what was that crazy dame talking about (laughs) then one of them turns to a bespectacled one who is jotting things down in a notebook and says that uh, that kind of thinking is never going to catch on hey gloria what are you writing (laughs) it is of course gloria steinem was in the club that night inspired by wonder woman to invent feminism (laughs) which was one of the hardest laughs I had this week was that final panel revealing Gloria Steinem. I'm not like, it's a joke for sure. I'm not sure if it's as funny to me so much in the way that it's intended to be as just kind of like the ridiculousness of it. Like, I don't know how tongue in cheek that joke is. Basically I have a hard time kind of drawing a bead on on that kind I of element I am looking of it. at it here and she is like winking to camera so. yes she, she well like yeah she is winking to camera I, I don't even like know how to like explain it but the, that like I think that he is doing it kind of like ironically and yet somehow it is like not ironic enough for how like ridiculous of a notion it is right uh, I don't know but anyways so this is also kind of a, a simple transition kind of like into the the post uh, post new frontier kind of era of his career but um, there were there were several sequels or spin-offs uh, that were pitched at various times of course in his issue of solo um, he does a, a story called King of America which is a new frontier thriller there was a discussed sequel titled JLA colon Bay of Pigs. Oh. Uh, <laughs> there were a couple of others that he had like some preliminary sort of like design and uh, and cover sketches for that were included in the absolute edition that I'm just going to see if I can uh, yeah. track down. I mean, like just looking at the the animated special and sort of like the stories that get contained in there, like it is, I mean, like ultimately it's not really the new frontier it's mostly just like we're doing a silver age thing or like we're doing something that's set in the 50s but like there is but also i think adding that element of it 
being a little more grounded, which the animated special doesn't always have, but like the idea of like setting it in that era, but that like depicting that era as it was rather than the comics of the day, which are sort of depicting like still this sort of idealized world and not really Mm -hmm. like, you know, tackling any social issues or anything like that. Like, yeah, I think it like is interesting. The... Like, you could easily write, like, a hundred, like, just pick a character. And, like, you could do a comic about them in this era. And, like, something's going to be going on. Yeah, I, I do. I am torn between the, like, the notion of, like, yeah, you can, like, kind of take this same approach to, like, tackling any character you want. And, like, the dichotomy of it being that, like, that's more so like almost like an approach as opposed to like a new frontier thing if that makes it like the yeah. world of of new frontier isn't like so built up and distinct that you know like when when you're when you're highlighting kind of like what are the key differences between new frontier and like mainstream dc universe like you start getting into things that are so i i don't know just like it's so low concept i guess that it's like what like what are we describing here what is like new frontier about this per se as compared to something like um like if you're saying like oh i'm setting it in the world of red sun as another like elseworld you know other other elseworlds books uh, it isn't even really like an elseworld except in so far as like it exists inside dc continuity it's just like it's the world (laughs) which is which is what makes it kind of like hard for me to like be like what is what is distinct about the new frontier that is like kind of replicable and like transportable onto another property in such a way that like you would want to call it like a new frontier story yeah. uh, beyond like obviously like the branding and recognition of like you know <laughs> from from the world of one of our most successful comics ever <laughs> yeah but i do i do think that there is enough there that it's sort of different like i think it's like a it's set in like the 1950s and it's sort of set at a time when, you know, like they, I think they sort of tried to do this with whichever reboot it was where it's like, Oh, like superheroes are sort of just coming onto the scene or at least like this new generation of superheroes is just coming onto the scene. That's part of it. The sort of idea that it's like, it's not shying. It's not a silver age pastiche. It's not like doing stories that would be in a silver age comic it's just setting things during that era, but mm-hmm. taking like a modern approach to it and like depicting things sort of as they were. And then that sort of idea of like the recognition of reality while also like recognizing like the inherent optimism and like essential goodness of superheroes. So it's like you don't set a story that's like in the mid 1950s and it's i don't know it's like batman kills a kid by accident or something (laughs) like it's not like it does have some of the lightness in terms of like in terms of having that sort of like inherent belief and optimism i will say that it seems like and again this maybe speaks to like how badly he kind of just wanted to do parker (laughs) at this point the stuff that he is inclined towards is all subcaptioned a new frontier thriller and is very much i would say in sort of like the more pulpy genre kind of space and like like they would play almost more so like james bond stories than like new frontier stories like king of america is is like very much sort of like a pulpy spy thriller and then 
the other uh, like piece of kind of concept art slash pinup for an unrealized title was um, Black Canary Catwoman colon Red Scare, a new frontier thriller. And we see Black Canary and Catwoman lit up by a spotlight. The uh, wall behind them is being peppered with machine gun uh, fire. And <laughs> Catwoman is holding like a nuclear football, basically. <laughs> sure. Where it's like... You know, the the impulse is more so towards, like, spy thriller, espionage thriller, like, atomic warfare. Uh, uh, like, I'm, I'm grasping to, like, come up with another example. Like, the Avengers probably would be kind of one of the big inspirations um, for that. Or, like, I guess it's too early to be, like... Um, like some of the proper like John le Carre or anyone like that but you know those those like man from uncle even I guess would would potentially be kind of along the lines of where he would be looking for inspiration as far as that goes so yeah anyways all that to say like kind of these like heightened books uh that lean more so into like genre trapping a bit more heavily and right. have a bit more of that kind of pulpy element as opposed to something like new frontier which has certainly has that at times but by and large is like yeah like you're saying like it does it does frequently ground itself in things that seem like they would be a little bit out of place in a like Catwoman, black canary nuclear spy thriller or or like uh king king of america i mean i get king of america is pretty grounded but it's got like very much a noir like kind of tone and sensibility to it right and yeah this does have this isn't devoid of genre trappings either no, certainly not like it's not like it's taking like a hardline realist approach but you know like i said like it doesn't it doesn't ignore the re like it is set in like the real world ostensibly. Mm-hmm. I'm just <laughs> I was just looking uh, at the Wikipedia article. I don't know if this is actually clarified anywhere, but it talks about how <laughs> the superheroes were unable to intervene in World War Two due to Adolf Hitler's command of the Spear of Destiny? Is this, this is something else that you missed out on in that uh, those <laughs> three pages uh, between the losers section and the Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, allow me to read verbatim from <laughs> the, the Holy Scripture here. Uh, Adolf Hitler's control of the legendary Spear of Destiny kept the superheroes out of the Great War. In the end, it was the mortal men and women who carried the day in the battlefields of Europe and North Africa. Meaning what exactly? So this is like a DC thing. And again, this these are the kinds of things that like lead to like he's putting it in there as kind of like an Easter egg in the sort of like Marvel's or Golden Age style to like allude to these these ideas that have like kind of been introduced into the continuity that like he doesn't actually care about. But but like in some ways, it's the same as like the notion that the JSA was like like dissolved themselves in response to like a HUAC hearing, which is like a, a Paul Levitz idea that he introduced in like the eighties or something like that or nineties, maybe anyways, it was like something that was brought along later and was kind of like a bit of a retcon to, to tie the like 
some of the characters from this era a little bit more to history where it's like when you're in that kind of late 20th century and it's like well why did uh, like why why didn't the JSA exist in like the 70s or the 80s and it's like oh they were broken up because of this like HUAC hearing and then in the same way when you have all these characters who when the comics were coming out in the 40s they were fighting in World War II but then you have to like keep sliding them forward until it doesn't make sense for them to have like have you know been fighting in world war ii but you still like you have these jsa characters who also are not there anyways so it was it's just like a dc thing that hitler had the spear of destiny which of course we all know is saint longinus's lance that was used to kill jesus He has the uh, the spear that uh, that pierced Jesus's side uh, and killed him, and it's some yeah, it's some like magic thing where it's like if they went into Germany because he like had the spear of destiny, that the superpowered beings would like fall under his sway, so they couldn't afford to send any superheroes to like fight in World War II because if Hitler rolled up with the spear of destiny, then they would turn into Nazis. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's it's one of those things that is like both crazy that 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 just like is a thing in comics and then also like he includes it as a fun thing and the end result is people being like so wait. So continuity wise then this is like at what point does this diverge from the DC universe as we know it because the spear of destiny was used to keep the allied superheroes out of Germany like you know it just like it kind of like invites speculation in a way that I don't think was what he wanted to do with it so much as just have it be like a fun easter egg right sure very strange yeah very Um, very weird thing but all that to say it is definitely something that is pretty much verbatim in the uh, the bonus pages. Sure. Shall we talk about awards because they are numerous is my understanding. They are numerous. They're so numerous that I almost forgot to <laughs> look them up because I was like, well, he just wins a million. He he uh, does of course become highly decorated with Eisner's, Harvey's and Schuster's uh, the beloved Canadian award as a result of uh, his work on the new frontier what have we got here best finite limited series for dc the new frontier best graphic album reprint best graphic album reprint in 2007 for absolute new frontier best publication design for absolute new frontier and then at the harvey's uh, best penciler or artist for new frontier best continuing or limited series for the new frontier uh 2007 best graphic album of previously published work for absolute new frontier joe schuster outstanding cartoonist for the new frontier i think that is all of them so yeah as as we have said um comes out to huge acclaim that uh, that is immediately embraced by uh fans and critics alike it's a smash hit uh it makes him immediately elevated to like superstar artist uh, status it's like an instant classic as represented by the fact that it gets an absolute within two years of uh, of coming out a thing that like even he seems baffled by it was one of the earliest um absolutes i think so they talk about it and it's like watchmen uh dark knight uh new frontier a book that came out two years ago yeah i was Um, i was sort of curious about like 
I mean, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but sort of the idea that, like, around this time, like, the big thing in comics, I guess, like, in Marvel, it's, like, Ultimate is sort of the thing du jour. But it does feel like a lot of, like, the big things that get talked about from, like, this era of comics is, like, these sort of, like, alternate world things. I was wondering if you had any kind of, like, thoughts about that or just whether you agree with that sort of perception. Because, like, you know, I started talking about, like, Kingdom Come... Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, Red Sun, and then I guess, like, even Ultimates is, like, weirdly a version of that, where it's, like, you're sort of recontextualizing mm-hmm. the old heroes. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's some hot stuff happening in, like, the mainstream universes as well around this time, like, uh, Brubaker's Captain America is, like, not too far off, uh, like, Bendis Daredevil, and then Brubaker Daredevil would be another example but yeah like even thinking about not just else worlds but like kind of like alternative options superhero wise where like the authority was a really big deal around this time um like planetary as well so like the warren ellis stuff that he was doing at uh at wildstorm so I, I mean there's like enough good stuff coming where like we're also in the sort of like Morrison new X-Men into Joss Whedon astonishing X-Men kind of era around this time. I mean maybe it's that like as I'm trying to come up with an example from DC, I am feeling like that is a little bit more difficult. But this is also kind of emblematic of just like one of the the big differences between DC and Marvel is that when you are trying like when you're thinking of the iconic DC stories they have a lot more of these sort of like self-contained one-off like evergreen kind of classics like Kingdom Come uh like uh uh like this is not an example of self-contained but like Crisis on Infinite Earths or Batman Year One or The New Frontier or Superman Secret Identity or Red Sun or you know you can like rattle off like forever these different miniseries ultimately that are kind of like the bedrock essential reading uh, for the DC universe whereas if you look on the Marvel side and try and name similar stuff like that like Marvel's obviously is one that is kind of like instantly called to mind but after that once you start thinking about kind of like the classic stories the tone is really more so set by the fact like Stan Lee's really long run on Spider-Man and like the Lee Kirby really long run on Fantastic Four. And then like Claremont has this super long run on X-Men. And so they become a little bit more so defined by these like really long running titles or, or these like long, longer um, tenures and, and runs on books. So when I like think back to the 2000s, again, it's easy to point to like more self-contained stuff like the authority versus like the ongoing comics of DC at the time. Whereas over at Marvel, it kind of doesn't matter which like universe it's in. It's the longer running titles that tend to be becoming successful, whether it's Ultimate Spider-Man or Astonishing X-Men or like the Daredevil books that I referenced, things like that. Sure. And, you know, in terms of the mainstream DC universe, this is, like, a little bit of a nadir, right? They're sort of, like, hurtling towards Infinite Crisis, which will help a lot in terms of sort of streamlining them and bringing them back into the public consciousness a little bit more, it seems like. Yeah, Jeff Johns, who, like, 
you know, is not my number one favorite guy, but definitely is responsible for a lot of like kind of the DC universe of the late 2000s and 2010s. Um, especially like in 2003, I think he's probably like writing Teen Titans or uh, or maybe maybe even still doing Stars and Stripe, which are like early, early books, which make his name and make him the guy that they're like, we're tapping you to bring back Hal Jordan. And then that makes him like, we're tapping you to be the guy to bring back the multiverse <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, with, with Infinite Crisis. So yeah, I, I'd like, I don't know if um, Nadir is necessarily right but I just haven't like read a ton of the DC comics from around this time because there's just like not a lot of stuff necessarily. That's like, you got to check out like Judd Winnick's green arrow, <laughs> or, sure. you know, things of, things of that ilk, I guess like, eh, yeah, like, even as would, I'm thinking, what I, would Superman I a, be doing like around this time? I want to say Dan Jurgens run. So he's like using a lot of lotion. It's it, like, I, yeah, this is, this is definitely a dark, time for superman as far as kind of just having gotten past the like superman red superman blue era right and like mullet superman era he he is like a big part of morrison's jla run which is very popular but um yeah in like his in his own book i am curious now if i'm right that it's the jurgens run at this point 2004 um they published birthright which is a mark wade joint um with gene ha and is uh, is kind of like superman secret origin which <laughs> comes out like three years later and retcons it just kidding it's two years later <laughs> um <laughs> but but yeah so they are definitely at kind of like a crossroads with with superman and there are elements of birthright that kind of instantly get rejected i.e uh clark now possesses the ability to see a living being's aura and becomes a vegetarian whereas others <laughs> uh very much stick i.e his s shield is a symbol of hope from his home world and his costume is made from the fabrics put in his spaceship during his journey uh and lex luther is shown to be a childhood friend so it's like some elements of it become folded into like the core part of the superman like origin of the of the modern day other parts are kind of instantly rejected batman is probably more so where the hotness is at this point i want to say that we're past no man's land a little bit at this yeah. point but it's like it's like the chuck dixon zone so like tim drake robin is is going strong like nightwing is headlining his own book like yeah birds of prey type stuff but even that like even as i say that i'm kind of like or is that a little like a couple years past at this point because you're right like infinite crisis really is like knocking on the door and those things are so like solidly pre-infinite crisis in my mind that it's just that, like they can't have yeah. done anything that like impacted things too much right because it's yeah like, i mean i'm like totally like grasping at straws to where even like the first things that i think of i'm then like but wait was that at this time or was that like a few years prior sure uh at any rate we simply must uh conclude here we've gone deep down the rabbit hole here mm -hmm. so that shall have to do us for today i'll let you keep looking at whatever you're looking at in case you come up with something uh before i finish vamping uh but you can of course okay i messed this up we recorded uh if anyone is interested 
David and I did a segment of my sports podcast, High Floor, Low Ceiling, that uh, is coming out. I guess it will be out, have been out uh, since last week by the time that you hear this. So go check that out if you're so inclined. We talk a little bit of basketball. Uh, it was a fun time. Uh, and I messed it I up. I finally got the bevy of bevies invite. <laughs> sure, he claims. I forget. I got it wrong. So now I'm back in my head again. Got the runs pod. That's correct. On Twitter, gotthuronspod at gmail.com. You can send us an email. Of course, remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You know, do all the things that are necessary to keep us in it. Two stars, yes. You're miming to me. Uh, (laughs) Next week, we'll be getting to Darwin Cook's uh, work. The spirit. Spirit. How many times do you think we're going to do that? (laughs) Uh, I wasn't planning on any until you reminded me that that was a thing. And now you might be doing that, but I'll, of course, be doing my flawless Michael Caine (laughs) spirit. So look forward to that. Barely even get out without (laughs) dissolving into laughter at myself. Uh, So we'll be covering the spirit issues 1 to 6 and 8 to 12 and the Batman the spirit one shot which is also in that uh, Batman Other Tales book, which we talked about some stuff from previously. But until then, thank you all for listening. And until next time, to be continued.